Hola, this is Enrique Morones and our producer, Sarah Bella, with another edition of Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer. And boy, do we have a magnificent mujer today. Actually, two magnificent mujer is, and today we're going to talk to one of them. And she is a legend, a living legend, someone that I, like anybody from our generation, is still in love with, and somebody that we're very grateful for everything that she's done in her music career, her activist career, and how she continues to live her life with dignity and still has a very important voice. And I'm speaking of Linda Ronstadt. And Reverend Mary uh, Moreno Richardson, thank you for uh, coordinating this. Hi, Enrique. It's so great to connect with you. I miss all the wonderful work we were doing together, and I'm so glad that you continue, you know, continue with all that energy you have to continue this incredible work at the border. You're a living legend to us. Thank, well, thank you. you very, thank you very much. And the real living legend is our special guest today, and I'm talking about an icon, somebody that we that are Mexican and we that are human beings in this world are so proud of, a woman that has lived her life with dignity, she is definitely a person that gets into good trouble. She's got an amazing career. We're talking about Linda Ronstadt. Linda, welcome to Magnificent Mujer. Well, thank you. We're delighted that you're able to join us today. And uh, you are definitely the ultimate when it comes to human rights, women's rights, music, practicing what you preach. And it's just such an honor to speak to you. I, like any person alive from our generation, have been in love with you forever. Uh, so, to actually, so to have the opportunity to speak to you is, is a real honor. And well, you. with your Mexican-German roots, like another Shiro of mine, Frida Kahlo. I don't know if you can see that I have Frida Kahlo. Oh, yeah, I love her. But she's another... Uh, Guadalupe, too. I collect things of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And you've got oh, some yeah. good pillows there. Yes, as I do. And as Reverend Mary brought me closer to the Virgen de Guadalupe. Right. So it's great to uh, to speak to you. And the first thing we, want, we would like to know is, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I, I have a progressive illness and it, it progresses. But I have a lot of support and I have a lot of good friends and I'm doing fine. And it's good to, to see that you're doing fine. And you being a person like me with Mexican roots, uh, you've lived your life with such dignity and race, uh, grace. And, and, uh, and, and, and you're, you were born into a musical family, both your brother and sister. You had a trio when you were growing up. And then eventually you had the Stone Ponies, where you came up well, with your first, first hit. I did grow up in a musical family. I Pardon? thought when I was growing up, I thought music was what you, Spanish was what you sang in, and English was what you spoke in. So we didn't, <laughs> we didn't learn a lot of Spanish, but we learned a lot of songs. Hmm. Because your dad played the guitar, your mom was also a musician? Both of them played and sang. My father played the guitar and the piano. My mother played the piano. Yes. <clears throat> My dad had a beautiful baritone voice. He sounded like a cross between Frank Sinatra and Pedro Infante. Wow, two uh, to, uh, incredible persons right there. My family in Culiacán, Sinaloa, they used, their house was right around the corner from Pedro Infante's sister's house. Oh, really? So, yes, yes. My I've family. Been to Culiacán many times. Yes, yeah, Pedro Infante. Yes, a beautiful place. Well, you've been able to travel around the world. You've, you've sang with so many different people and you've had a solo career in many different genres. It's, it's unusual to have somebody that sang rock, folk. You even were in country, you were in the theater. 
you have a, a book, you have a documentary about you. Uh, you've had a full life. You've really had a full life and you have so many uh, wonderful treasures in your history. And we recognize that. This is the 50th year of the Chicano Moratorium. And we're thinking about people that in the last five decades have done so much for, for our community, not only the Latino community, but the community at large. Your Grammys, your, your, your uh, recognitions and so forth. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you got to meet one of my heroes, and that's when you received the medal from President Barack Obama. What was that experience like? Oh, that was an extraordinary experience. Mary was there. That was the Obamas are so gracious and they're so clearly connected in a in a really incredibly empathic and resonant way. And when they walked into the room, it was just like a flash of brilliant light came in. I, I just found them extraordinary self-aware and aware of the things around them or the people around them. Very much unlike what it's like now. It's very different from what is going on right now. And when you mention light, that's something that we really need now. We really need night, uh, light in this, this time of darkness. And I've seen some of your uh, recent interviews or, or for the last few years, and you talk about, about your family history, you talk about your music, you talk about the uh, Queenston Trio with Dolly Parton and Emily Lou Harris. <laughs> I love well, that. Well, all the that Queenston music was trio. in my living room when I was a child growing up. My grandmother was an opera fan. My dad loved popular music of the time and American popular music. He also loved Mexican music, and he used to he used to do a lot of business in Mexico. So every time he'd make a business trip, he'd bring a lot of pile of records home. So he listened to all the trio Los Panchos and the trio Calaveras and trio Tariacuri, Lola Beltran, Miguel Aceves Mejia, a lot of really great stuff. So I learned a lot of my singing from those records, and from singing with my dad. He sang in Spanish too. My mom played Gilbert and Sullivan on the piano, and that's where I got my love for Gilbert and Sullivan. I wound up seeing that on Broadway. And um, I sang a, an opera in New York for the for the New York Public Theater. I sang La Boheme, I sang the part of Mimi. And that was something that I heard growing up at my grandmother's house, because she used to play the um, uh, live radio broadcast of the Metropolitan Opera in New York City every, every Saturday. And I used to go over there and listen to it with her. In country music, I got off the radio and also rock and roll. So I don't try to sing it if I hadn't heard it by the time I was eight. That's quite a variety. And Lola Beltran, another person from Sinaloa. Yeah, right. And, and as far as uh, rock and roll, I was fascinated by the story. I didn't realize this, that you kind of helped the Eagles along. So I'm a big fan of the Eagles from Hotel California to uh, seeing them perform here in San Diego. Uh, uh, Don Henley and Glenn Fry. You had a you, you had a, one of them as your drummer in your band, and when they wanted well, to what go, happened was I was, I was at, what happened was I was at the Troubadour one night, and I was looking for I had to put a band together because I had a tour, and I had had this guy Bernie Ledden playing with me in my band, but he went on to be with the Flying Flying Burrito Brothers, so I had to replace him, and hire a rhythm section. So I was walking through the Troubadour one night. And I heard a band playing my version of Silver Threads and Golden Needles, exactly note for note off my record. And I thought, well, maybe I can get some of those guys. They already know my, they already know my stuff. So when I was particularly looking for a drummer, I went and asked the drummer if he was interested. He said yes, and he was Don Henley. And my, I was living with my boyfriend at the time, and he was partners with, had been singing partners with this guy named Glenn Fry that I thought was a good guitar player, and they didn't have any work. So I said, Glenn, he could come on the road with me for a month or two. 
It makes it funny while he was seeing what other kind of band he was going to form. So he and Don were rooming together on the road. They were shared, shared a uh, hotel room together because we didn't have enough money for people that each have their own room. So they started writing songs together and they decided to form a band. I knew they were good. I, I heard their songs. I knew they were going to be good. So uh, we suggested that they play with me while they were waiting to get their record deal together. So I suggested they get Bernie Ledden, the guitar player that I'd like to be their guitar player. They loved him. He sang really well. And um, my manager suggested they get Rodney Meisner, who's a bass player, the musician I've been working with. And that's how the Eagles got together. And they played with me for about a year, and then they went on their own. A great, great band. And, and you were mentioning boyfriends and relationships with Port Katie Souther, Governor Jerry Brown. I understand that you're still in communication with a lot of these people from the past. Well, we were friends to start with, and we we're friends to end with. It's a nice thing. And that's the way it should be. When you, when, so. you were, when you were mentioning, Linda, about growing up with the Mexican music, the, uh, the, one of the other classic uh, musical pieces that you did was Canciones de Mi Padre. That was so beautiful. And for those of us where Spanish is our first language, for you to take that risk as somebody that's already established singing songs in English to now singing with a mariachi band, what was that experience like? Well, I told the record company that I'd sold enough records for them in English and I was going to, I wanted to do it just because I wanted to do it. I didn't think of it as a risk or as anything. I just thought I loved the song and I wouldn't be able to sleep at night for the rest of my life if I didn't record them. And plus they were a lot better than the songs I was getting from pop music at the time, which was sort of having a lot of punk music. It wasn't very singable to me. So I thought that the Mexican music was way better for my voice and way better for, they're way better song. They're better written, better musically, better lyrically, beautiful poetry. So I recorded the songs that I knew from, you know, the living room in my house in Jusalan. Beautiful, beautiful songs. One of the songs that brought me to tears as I was listening to it this morning that Reverend Mary had recommended, Adonde Voy. Oh yeah, that was on a, an English language record. That was on a pop record. Right. I think it's a beautiful song. Tishina wrote that song. Yes, no, beautiful song. La madrugada me, me va corriendo bajo al cielo que, que va dando color. La madrugada me ve corriendo bajo al cielo que va dando color. No salgas sola nombrarme fuerza de la inmigración talking about um, you know the, the, the morning and, and immigration and, and that this is just so beautiful and so powerful as are all your songs and I would imagine it would be I don't have any children I know you have adopted children um, like saying what, who's your favorite child but with all your songs uh, there's so many heat wave blue by you uh, there's just so many songs. Is there a favorite song? I like Mi Ranchito. Mi Ranchito. Allá al pie de la montaña, donde te Yeah, you have such a beautiful. I like, um, 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 let me think. El Crucifijo de Piedra. 
And how about songs in English? Um, I like songs by Jimmy Webb. I like the song called uh, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Adios, they wrote that. Still within the sound of my voice. Right, and you've had such opportunity to meet some such wonderful musicians. Being born on July 15th, I don't know if you know that, I don't think so, that that's the day of the Enrique. That's the Saint's Day for Enrique. My name's Enrique. Oh, I'm born on your Saint's Day. You're born on my Saint's Day, so we, we have a bond there. And you always talk about dreams and, and, and friends. And I was I remember when Sally Field was receiving an award and you and you stood up to defend her. Yeah. When Secretary of State Mike Pompeo made an inappropriate comment. And I thought that was really terrific when uh, he said something like, when will I be loved? And your response. Well, I said, you'll be loved when you stop enabling Donald Trump. <laughs> He's one of his primary enablers. He is. And, and that's so dangerous. And that's one of the things that we really wanted to talk about uh, a lot. And that is this year, 2020, November 3rd, without a doubt, will be the most important election in our lifetime. In our what history, I think, do? in the country's history. In the history of struggling to maintain a democracy. It's been imperfect in the past, but all is trying to do right. And, and Reverend Mary may have told you about the work that I've done with working with migrants and putting water in the desert and working with children, et cetera. Now it's more difficult than ever, where you have six children that have died in Border Patrol custody. When you have people being tear gassed, people in cages, children in cages, asylum seekers not, not getting asylum. We need to have a change. We need to put an end in white, to white supremacy. And with Anderson Cooper, you were talking about how you see Donald Trump and how you saw another horrible uh, leader in history, Adolf Hitler. Well, it's very, the details are disturbingly sim similar. One of the most important things that uh, a totalitarian dictator tries to do is tries to make simple solutions for complex problems. And Donald Trump runs around offering simple solutions to highly complex problems that he himself does not understand. He's not a reader, he doesn't listen to experts, and he just goes with his instinct, which is to serve himself. And it's very, very dangerous. It's the exact kind of thing that a totalitarian leader tries to do. And also demonize people, make them afraid of a certain group, like the, Hitler did with the Jews, Donald Trump does with Mexicans. He's demonizing and making them all criminals. And he doesn't even know thing about Mexican culture, American people. That's right. And his uh, grandparents coming from Germany himself and him and his wife, of course, an immigrant and the, the statements that he makes, because as we know, hate words lead to hate action. Yeah, they do. Heather hires murderers, some good people. She was the woman that was killed in Virginia that said, if you're not paying attention, you, you're not. You, you, if you need to be paying attention, you should be outraged. You're to be outraged. And it's something that a lot of people just aren't doing. You know, we'll, we'll see these big demonstrations, which I support. I support Black Lives Matter. I joined their protest. We have a big campaign for Breonna Taylor right now. Good yeah, for you. Got to put your body in the street. Yes. And, and, yeah, and then the way, the way that they spin it around. And, and it's sad to see that people actually believe this right wing rhetoric. It is unbelievable to me. Well, the government has kept them ignorant. And like Fox News is a, is a, 
um, propaganda arm of the ultra-right Republican Party and it's spreading disinformation as fast as it can on a daily basis. We have to stop them somehow. We have to get, get rid of Fox News and bring journalism back to the high standard it used to be. Now it's just Fox News hires models from model agencies and they put on makeup and read the news out loud. And they read what they're told to read. And they have talking points every day, like the China flu, China virus, and Mexicans are all criminals and they're gonna murder you in your beds. That's all spread by Fox News. And hate words lead to hate action. As they we lead have, to hate action. As, People get beat up have, in the streets. Yes. And then they've made, they've made the border so that it's like a military, they've militarized the border so that when they catch people coming across the desert, instead of just people that are looking for a better life, they think they see them as the enemy and they want to kill them and torture them and beat them up. It's they're, send, they're sending them back to uh, Mexico and not letting them stay here in the United States while they're seeking asylum, which is an international law. Speaking of the border, just this past November, I was invited to Berlin to speak about the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall and how we should be building walls instead of building bridges instead of walls. And uh, around the world, people are seeing the horrors of what's going on in the United States. Because I remember when I was young in school, I would think, how could people stand by while, they, while the Nazis did their thing? Well, now we're living it. Now we're living it. Too many people are just standing by. We cannot be standing by. Well, I grew up in the Sonoran Desert, and the Sonoran Desert is a cultural region that exists on both sides of the border. And they put a fence through it, the middle of it. And we had daily commerce. We used to drive down there for lunch. We did, my parents did business with people on the other side of the border regularly and socialized with them. We went to their balls and their baptisms and their weddings and their quinceañeras. And that has all stopped now. There's no... It's been terrible for business on both sides. It's been terrible for the culture. It's been terrible for social connections that make those alliances strong. It's weakened the border. It has weakened the border. We need to be reaching out and working together with our brothers and sisters, not demonizing them. Because it's important that we realize that a society is judged on how we treat our children. And our children are watching what is going on. The, the, the rioting, the, uh, the, the, the children being put in cages, the, the, the virus that's out of control because of failed leadership here in the United States, and then the lies trying to cover up what is really going on. We need to be sure that we get out there and vote November 3rd. This Everybody is so, so important. And we're, we're, we're working on a large campaign with Gente Unida to make sure that the Latino vote gets out there. And I've been working I need with to vote Latino. early. When I was on the road with the Mexican show, they bought their tickets at the last minute. They can't do that with voting. We never knew when we get to a town whether we we're going to have a crowd or not because they buy their tickets at the box office. It was all walk up. You can't walk up to this election. You have to vote early. We have to vote early. Our culture is is uh, a little bit different. Like every culture is different because it's different. It's it's it's, it's very good, but it's different. So we have to adapt to that culture. And that's one of the messages that we're sending. As far as talking about the importance of the vote, talking about that if we stay idle, if we stay idle, we could have another four years of this monster and we will not survive. We won't it, survive it. Our democracy will be fundamentally, it's already fundamentally changed. It'll be yes. more profoundly changed. Yes. And I know that you're, that. 
an, an avid reader. We have a, a couple of books that we'll send you through uh, Reverend Ma uh, Mary. One of them is precisely The Power of One, talking about how we all have the power to make change. And it can be changed for good, like you have done, like Reverend Mary has done, or the change for bad, as we, as we have seen other people do. And we also have another book called Rumi with a View. And that's done by a dear friend of, of mine named Ari Honavar. She's from Iran. And she talks about Rumi's poems, a 13th century poet, Persian poet, mystic. And he talks about the power of love. And that, that's something that you've exhibited throughout your career, the power of love. Because it's love that makes a difference. And, and we lost a great hero not too long ago, Representative John Lewis, that would talk about good trouble, that would talk about taking action and not being silent. And that is more important now than ever. So we want to make sure so that- true. I love that the poem Rumi. I look forward to those books. Yes. Are you, are, do you read Rumi? Are you familiar with Rumi? I've read him. Yes. Because I Adi was mentioning, she goes, she has read Rumi. And I go, maybe he has. I'll ask her. And, and, and Adi has turned me on to Rumi talking about going from dark to light and from despair to hope and, and difficulties that I've had in my life, like people have in their lives. And you've been a great uh, hero to me in the way that you've handled adversity and, and the way that you've handled challenges. You're somebody well, the people that can handle challenges and adversity are the migrants. They're champions at that. The, the survivors are the ones that, that could do that. The other ones turn back or, or delayed in some malevolent way. Yes. And we, we uh, often forget that migration is worldwide. There's 250 million undocumented people in the world today. The United States no has... More. There's the United it's States has... Yes. And people are crossing borders all over because they want to have a better life. They want to have a life. Yeah. I lost the picture again. Yes. yes. And the challenge, the challenges that they face, the challenges that we've all faced. We were all at one time in our history going to another land. Many of us have been here for generations, like people that are in the Southwest, like my family. You know, we've been here forever. But regardless of when we cross borders, or whatever part of the world we live in, we need to treat our neighbor with love and respect and with dignity. Even if we have differences, it's very important. And that's why we're doing this huge campaign about getting out the vote, about working with the migrant children. We go visit the children in Tijuana, right across the border and bring them masks. We bring them uh, food and supplies. I have my uh, Frida Kahlo mask right here. And oh, it's great. That we have that, that human connection with people. Exactly. Something something that you've always done. Well, we did that in Arizona. I didn't, I was a ride along, but there are people that have been very dedicated to go every day and make sure that people are okay. You can only do it a little bit at a time, but the need is so giant, but they're there working away. Yes, they do a great job in Arizona. I have a dear friend, another Shiro of mine. You might know her because she's from there as well. Her name is Isabel Garcia. Oh yeah, I know who she is. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. And she does great work. She does great work, as does No More Deaths. No More Deaths does great work. They go out there in that no, area. No water. More Deaths who I rode along with. Yes, they're fantastic. And it's important that we recognize the work of these people that are doing things for the right reasons. Because you mentioned one time that you have done what you have done in your career, not for the rewards. You know, it's for your love of people, your love of music, your love of connecting. 
And that's very roomy like, and that's something very important, something that you've always. Well, we done. have to vote because if we don't, because if Trump gets in office, we might wind up having to immigrate ourselves to Canada or Mexico. I'm not quite sure which. Right. And a freeze or fry. Yes. Yeah, I spend as much time in Mexico as I possibly can. Right now, it's difficult to be traveling internationally because of COVID, but it, but we will be able to dance again. We will be able to touch again, to hug again. I hope so. Yes. And we want to follow the medical, you know, the the medical advice about wearing the mask, maintaining the distance. Yeah, uh, wear your mask. Yes, it is so God. important. Well, Linda, any um, a message of, that you would like to leave us with, as far as the elections and the importance of treating people with dignity, treating people with love? I think mainly just to remember those children that were separated from their families. For were catastrophically traumatized and many are still separated they've got lost in the system and we have to keep speaking out against in their defense because they're little and they don't have anything to defend them that's right and and you know like i mentioned the society is judged on how we treat our our children and if you're not outraged you're not paying attention that's what heather Heyer had said as far as what is taking place right now one of the things that i like to ask my guests uh, before they leave, is to you, Linda Ronstadt, what is love? God, I couldn't define it. It's a, it's Need a and caring, part. I guess. Being caring. And then you're living your life with love because you've been so, you're so caring to your friends from what Reverend Mary tells me, from what I've seen. And we really appreciate that. As a matter of fact, with, uh, Mario Torero, who's a master muralist, would like to do some sort of a, a portrait of you because we're recognizing different individuals, especially on this 50th anniversary of the Chicano Moratorium. So we want to make sure that you're recognized because oftentimes it's the man that's recognized and not the woman. And you've been a pioneer in women's rights when you were out there by yourself as a woman at the top of the charts uh, and standing up to the system. That's something that's very important to, to me as a human rights activist. People that I work very closely with, Josefina Lopez, Real Women Have Curves. She's with us as we've worked with uh, Lila Downs and other musicians that you might know that promote this spirit of love, that promote this spirit of practicing what one preaches and that love is an action, not just a word, and that love has no borders. Has no borders and no fence, no damn fence. That's right. Well, Linda, um, you know, we want to thank you very much, Reverend Mary. I don't know if you have a, any closing words that you would also like to share with us. I just want to thank you so much, Enrique, for having this available. And Linda, thank you so much for participating. We really appreciate um, your words. Everybody looks up to you. How, how did you meet uh, Linda Ronstadt? Um, I met Linda in San Francisco. Uh, she was a keynote speaker at Grace Cathedral, and I knew she was going to be there. And so I have a, a, a program, the Guadalupe Art program, that works with a lot of migrant children and uh, abused children. And so I made a little packet with all the information in it, and I waited for Linda to show up. And I went right up to her and um, told her that I had this packet, introduced myself, and she was just so wonderful and delightful. And she uh, took the packet, and uh, the next day she called me and said, I want to see the artwork that the children have done. And so it turned out that we lived right in the, in the same neighborhood, 
And so she came over and just loved all the artwork and the stories that the ch of the children. And Linda has a daughter named Mary. And so um, I invited Mary to be part of the um, program and she was my assistant. And she went to Southwest Key with me up in the Bay Area and worked um, a lot with the children. Mary's bilingual, she speaks Spanish. And so she was wonderful with the children. Uh, Reverend Mary, if, if I were to ask you, well, I'm gonna ask you, who is Linda Ronstadt? Because we always think about her as a music icon and know about her history, but you've gotten to know her personally. So I'll ask you now, who is Linda Ronstadt to you? Linda Ronstadt is one of the most talented women I've ever met. First of all, I'm her biggest fan. I said that to her when I met her. I said, I'm your biggest fan. I've always loved Linda. I've always loved her music. But getting to know her personally, I'm just so moved and impressed by the incredible human being that she is. We all love her for that beautiful, powerful, magnificent voice that she has. But her heart is as big and beautiful and compassionate than anyone I've ever met. She is really a, a wonderful human being. Thank you so much, Enrique, for having this available. And Linda, thank you so much for participating. We really appreciate um, your words. Everybody looks up to you. Um, and I just urge everyone to get out, get out and vote. This is, like you said, Enrique, such a very, very important election. And it's going to save our democracy. we got to get this right. Thank you. We do. And thank we you so much. Yes, thank you, Linda. We want to make sure that we invite Reverend Mary because I know that you're working on rape crisis issues and, and uh, women's rights, and we want to make sure that we have a full show dedicated to that. So we're going to invite She's you. She's the one that's a hero. She's on the front lines. <laughs> she, is, she is a shero. You're both sheroes. To all you listeners and viewers, I strongly recommend the documentary about Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice. And I also recommend the New York Times bestseller, Simple Dreams, a musical memoir, an autobiography by Linda Ronstadt. So thank you very much. Muchísimas gracias. Que Dios las, ben las bendiga y hay que votar. Let's get out there and vote November 3rd. Great. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Enrique. Muchas gracias. On behalf of Sarah Bella, our producer, I'm Enrique Morones, your host, another magnificent mujer. Muchas gracias, amor, si se puede. Thank you.